Well, this December, we have been looking closely at the lives of some of the main characters in the Christmas story. And we've been looking at uh, these characters' lives through our series we have been calling Revealed. And we called this series Revealed uh, because when we were preparing for Christmas time, way back in September, uh, we were taken by how the stories that surround the birth of Jesus reveal so much about God's love for us and His intentions in the world and the way that He works in the world. And so we have focused on how God has revealed to us so much through this Christmas time story. And um, if you've been with us, you know that in the first week, Dave talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth and the way that God revealed his heart through their story. And then Amy spoke to us about Mary. And last week, Barry uh, talked to us about the shepherds. And then on Christmas Eve, Dave spoke about the wonder of Jesus coming to earth as a baby. And I'm just going to say, if you have not had a chance to hear all of these messages, I highly recommend that you find them online and listen to them because they all work together to reveal so much about God's heart and what is truly important to Him. I would say, listen to these messages. They are well worth the time. And even though Christmas is now behind us, uh, we still have one more week in our Revealed series, and this is the final week in it, and, and this week the characters that we're going to be looking at are called the wise men, the wise men, or as they are more often called, the three wise men, or sometimes they're called the three kings, or sometimes, have you ever heard them called the three magi? Have you heard them called the magi? Now, I'll get to why there are so many names for these guys later, but right now, I want to get right to the story because even though we've already heard a great deal about all that God has revealed to us in the past weeks, I think that God has even more to reveal to us through this story. So everybody needs to have their Bible. Everybody needs to or look online or something. And while you're, it's, if, it's, if you have the house Bible, the uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 is where we're going to be, and that's on page 18, eight, I'm sorry, 800 in the House Bible. And while you're looking that up, I want to say hey to everybody that's watching online. We're glad you're with us. So everybody have Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Matthew was uh, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and he wrote this particular uh, story of the life of Jesus, primarily to Jewish people. And this is how he started chapter 2. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of Herod the king. Now, I want to stop there for just a moment and let you know that Matthew is saying Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. And he continually, every time he mentions Bethlehem, he also ties on the business of being in Judea because, do you know this? There were two Bethlehems at that time. One was in the southern part of, of Judah, which was near Jerusalem. And then there was another one that was just a few miles from Joseph and Mary's hometown of Nazareth. And so it would have been 
very possible for them to just have traveled a few miles to a nearby Bethlehem and had this baby there. And, but the, what do all the prophecies about where Jesus was to be born say he was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea? And so Matthew constantly is reminding us of this, that Jesus fulfills the prophecy. He doesn't want us to ever get confused about which Bethlehem Jesus might have been born in. And he also tells us right here at the beginning that there is that the man who was ruling at the time was King Herod, King Herod. Now, this King Herod was also known as Herod the Great, Herod the Great. But in their day, calling somebody the Great did not mean they were great like we think of it. It simply meant they were the first. So like if we were to name him, we would have said, he's Herod the First. But I just have to tell you, there is nothing about this man that we would have ever said was great. In fact, he was, um, these, are the, these are the ways he was described in history. Ruthless, cruel, jealous, arrogant, manipulative, self-absorbed, and heartless. Doesn't sound very great to me. Plus, and this is important to the story that we're looking at today, this Herod had gone to great lengths a few years before this story happens. He went to great lengths to get Caesar Augustus, who was the emperor of Rome at the time. He got Caesar Augustus to declare that Herod was now titled King of the Jews. Now, the odd thing about him being titled King of the Jews was that Herod wasn't even a Jew. And yet he was very proud that the emperor had said, you are the King of the Jews. Matthew wanted everybody to know that when Jesus came into the world, this terrible man was running things, okay? Then we read this, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, for those of you who have pens in your hand, um, I'm giving you permission to put a little mark in your Bible after the word, so let's say, it says, after this time. For some reason, our translation, the NLT, does not include the word idu, that's the Greek word, which, should be tra- which is usually translated behold. So it goes, at this time, behold. But a better way to translate it might be to say, take note. Or even better, if I were translating it, I would have said, you won't believe this. You won't believe this. So your Bible should actually, I think, read like this. About that time, and you won't believe this. And I think Matthew added that little ado in there because he knew that nobody in his world in the first century would have believed for a moment that the next words you're going to find in there are, well, our translation says wise men, but the Greek is literally magi. It says about this time, and you're not going to believe this, magi came from eastern lands looking for the newborn king of the Jews. And here's why nobody would have believed it. Calling these people wise men was being kind. 
Magi were actually, they were astrologers, they were soothsayers, they were magicians, they were fortune tellers, and they worked in the courts of the kings in nations like Mesopotamia and Persia. And they may have been wise about some things, but they were wise in the ways of fortune telling. And Jews, they were suspect of Magi. No, that's nice. They were hostile towards Magi because God had told them very specifically in the Old Testament that Jews weren't supposed to have anything to do with astrologers and fortune tellers. And this is why Matthew says, can you believe it? Magi. Magi came all the way from some place way out in the east to Jerusalem looking for the newborn king. And they, it says they'd seen his star rising and they'd followed it all the way to Judah, believe it or not. Now, we have no idea exactly what was going on with this star. Um, people have tried to tie what was going on with the star and what the Magi saw to some sort of natural astronomical phenomenon that might have happened at the time. They say, well, there might have been a comet, there's a comet that went over, or that two planets came together and it made a big bright star in the sky or something like that. I mean, there are all kinds of guesses about it, but they're all guesses. What's going on with this star is still a mystery. We just have to take the Magi's words. Now, they were astrologers, by the way, but somehow they knew that that star was telling them that they needed to go to Jerusalem and find the newborn king of the Jews. And, and this brings up another question. Why would these Magi from so far away out in the way eastern part of the world have any interest whatsoever of traveling all that way over land and, and going to Jerusalem of all places to look for the newborn king of the Jews. The Jews were the hillbillies of the ancient world, folks. Nobody really cared about the Jews. And yet here they go. Why? Now, we, aren't for, we don't know for certain, but the best guess is this. The best guess is this. Way back 500 years earlier or so when the Jews had been sent into exile in where? Babylon. Jews had gone there and God had told them to settle down there and to make their homes and to live there. And when the time came for Jews from Babylon to be able to go back to Israel and reestablish Jerusalem and do all that stuff, we know that very few went and most stayed in Babylon. And Babylon became a central place of Jewish thinking and teaching and that kind of thing. And maybe, just maybe, Maybe these magi who were interested in things religious had talked to some of these Babylonian Jewish folk and heard that they were looking forward to a Messiah and somehow the star told them that it had happened. We aren't really sure. We don't know for sure, but we do know this, that they went all that way to find a child so they could do one thing, worship him. Now, the word that's translated worship in the, out of the Greek, the Greek word is the word proskuneo. 
For them to worship meant simply to show someone great reverence. It meant to bow down in honor of someone. It even would mean at times, as the word is often used, to show that someone kisses the hand of someone who deserves great respect. This is what they came to do. And it makes perfect sense to me that Herod wasn't really happy about hearing this, that, they, that these wise men had come looking for the what? The newborn king of the Jews? That they wanted to what? Worship? Well, verse 3 tells us that Herod, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, this is one of those... If Herod is deeply disturbed, then everybody else is going to be deeply disturbed moments. Seriously, we're going to talk in a moment about some of his great wondrous actions in the world. And I'm certain that when the word got out that there were guys who'd come from a long way away who were magicians and they said there was a newborn king of Jerusalem, everybody was wondering, oh no, what is Herod going to do now? I'm sure the whole city was upset. Verse 4 tells us he was plotting something. He says, he called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, you are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be a, the shepherd for my people. Israel. The religious leaders and the teachers of the law told the wise men where Jesus was to be born. They told Herod where he was to be born. Now, I find it this odd, actually. You know, these teachers of the law and the, um, these religious folk, they had been studying for a long centuries, actually, the, the Old Testament and talking amongst themselves, trying to figure out everything they could about this coming Messiah. Like they'd figured out, they thought they'd figured out when he was going to come and what he was going to do and how he was going to act and how things were going to change. And they'd figured it all out. They knew exactly, or they thought they knew down to the detail, everything about what was going to happen when the Messiah came. And they did all that so that when he came, they'd recognize him. And you know, we have the list of everything that they thought was going to happen. We have that list. And guess what? They got one thing right. One, that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And oddly, it is the way that God went and made it known to the wise men where Jesus was going to be born. Now think about this. God used the religious leaders and the teachers of the law to help a group of foreign Gentile astrologers and fortune tellers find their way to Jesus. Now that's pretty crazy, isn't it? That deserves, I think, another, can you believe it? Go on in verse seven, it says, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Uh, do I have to tell you that Herod is lying? He is lying. 
He had no intention of worshiping some baby that the Magi were calling the newborn king of the Jews. This sounded like a rival to him, and history tells us that Herod the Great had made an art form out of eliminating his rivals. We know that when he was first appointed as the ruler over Judea, he had the two men who had been, had been the leaders in Judea before him put to death along with all of their supporters, and just for good measure, all the members of each of their families. And speaking of family, Herod had his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, his three oldest sons, and even his favorite wife all put to death because of the, he suspected they might be up to something. Herod, was not the kind of guy who was going to stand by and let some baby become known as the king of the Jews. Verse 9 tells us, after this interview, the wise men went their way. Oh, and by the way, you can add another behold right here. There's a behold right there in the Greek text. He goes, and okay, I'll start. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and you're not going to believe this. The star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. Now, again, we don't know exactly what happened with the star. Now it's getting really specific. It's a star that tells them exactly where Jesus is in the town of Bethlehem. Now, th this is a mystery. But somehow, the Magi knew exactly what the star was telling them. It says, you'll find the child right here. And verse 10 goes on, and it says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Now, I just want to stop for a second here because our translation says when they saw the star, they were filled with joy, and that's okay. That's, that's okay, but it's an understatement. The literal Greek says this, they rejoiced with a joy exceedingly, but the feel of the Greek is more like this. They were joyously joyous in as joyous a manner as it is possible to be joyous. I think we get the point. These were happy men. They were really happy about this. Uh, I don't even know what else to say. They were really happy they saw the star. And, as, and it says, then they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Hey, notice that Jesus is called what? The child. Child and baby are very different words in the Greek. Baby means a baby, and child means a young child. It means Jesus was probably about 18 months old. He's not a baby anymore. And then we get the gifts that they give out. Now, people have gone to great lengths to try to determine the meaning of these gifts. They say gold means this, frankincense means this, myrrh means this. And all of those meanings, though they, they're really interesting, they all come from us knowing the end of the story. Even like after Jesus is risen from the dead, we like they, people feed back into that. But there's no way that the wise men, when it came time for them to give gifts to Jesus, had any idea that he was going to die on the cross or that he's going to raise from the, any of that stuff. And so what, what is happening here really is just that the only thing we can be certain about when it comes to these gifts, though this is a really important certainty, is that when they left home and they knew they were going to meet a king 
somebody who was going to rule somewhere, they said, they said, we have to take him gifts that are worthy of a king. Something of so much value that people will say, yes, you brought the appropriate gift to this person. And one other thing we can be certain about with these magi is that they actually paid attention to their dreams. Look what it says in verse 12. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now this is the end of the Magi's story. But the repercussions of their visit to Jerusalem and Bethlehem didn't end when they slipped past Herod and returned home by another route. If you read on in the story here in this chapter, you'll find that God also visited Joseph in a dream, as just like he did with the wise men. He came in a dream, but what he told Joseph was to get up right now, get up out of bed immediately here in the middle of the night, gather up Mary and Jesus and flee off to Egypt. Go, because Herod is coming and is intent on killing little Jesus. And that's exactly what Joseph did, he did that. And can I add, I am confident that when they left for Egypt, they took with them treasure chests worth of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And my bet is that they paid for an extended stay in a foreign country as, as refugees with the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh that they'd been given by the Magi. But Matthew tells us, once Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, if you will, that Herod responded in a typical Herod the Great form. This is the, a terrible part of the story. He ordered that every little boy under the age of two living in the region around Bethlehem was to be put to death. Now, most scholars believe that the population of Bethlehem at the time would have been such that maybe at the most there were 20 little boys. And, and the thinking is it was probably more like 10. But even one child's death due to Herod's jealousy and his rage, that just even one is one too many. You know, and while the story ends with Jesus' family safely escaping to Egypt, and, and it actually ends with them <clears throat> coming home and going back to Galilee, back to their hometown in Nazareth, they're there safely. We see that it ends safely, but you know, it also ends with the, one of the greatest sadnesses in all of the Bible. I mean, the, it has a title. It's called The Slaughter of the Innocents. And it's called that for good reason. I, this story that began with such wonder with the wise men following a star in search of Jesus, it ends with inconsolable despair. Can you imagine what it was like in Bethlehem of Judea then after all those baby boys were killed? And this reminds me of our world. It is a world with, filled with great wonder. It is a world that is filled with things that excite us and show us the goodness of God. And yet it is also a world that is broken in so many ways. And this cannot help but break my heart. 
Now, people have added a lot of details to this story um, over the centuries, the traditional things that have come that we don't find in the Bible. One is that one detail that we all know about is that every time we picture the Magi in our nativity scenes, they show up on the night Jesus was born. It's okay, it's okay. It's good to keep the Magi in the story, you know, but the truth is they probably didn't show up for a year and a half afterwards, but that's okay. I just want you to know that that's just part of the tradition. We want to keep all the characters together there around the manger. And uh, also the number of Magi is how many? Three. And Matthew never says anything about three Magi. That comes from the fact there were three gifts and they can't imagine that more than three guys could bring three things and that they'd all have to bring one and that's okay. That's okay, three magi is fine, three, we have, that's okay. But there, we don't know, there might have been 50, I don't know, but we have three now. And oh, by the way, did you know that uh, in the sixth century, somehow they discovered the names of all these guys. Uh, now in the Western church, they're all called Gasper, Bathazar and Melchior. I'm just going to say if these aren't their names and somebody, if I was one of them and somebody gave me the name Melchior, I probably wouldn't be happy about it. But we'll just say, and by the way, there are four other Christian traditions that have three different names for them. And so when we get to heaven and there are 15 possible names we can call out to when we meet the wise men, and my guess is that none of those 15 names will be answered to by any of them. I'm just saying, it's okay though. We have these details, we have these details. Plus, the entire notion of these men being astrologers and fortune tellers has been pretty much washed out of the story. Why? Why do we wash them out of the story? Because it's not cool to say, and Gentile pagan fortune tellers came to visit Jesus. No, so what do we say now? We say they were kings, even holy kings. Well, that's okay, but this is just a shift. But do you know what this shift does? It takes our eyes off of what's really happening in this story, which is pagan fortune tellers get to come worship Jesus. That's where we're going with this story, you see. And, you know, I also know, I know, the thing is this. I could go on and on about details that have been added into the traditional story that we all have. But I don't, I don't want to do that. It's, the, the truth is that we get these details added because there just aren't very many details in the 12 verses that we have from Matthew. And we want details. And so over time, people just keep filling them in and we believe them. And you know what? That Matthew's story has now been filled out. But really, the truth is, the details that we do have, the ones that are actually in the Scripture, there's so much in those details that have been resonating around in my heart and my mind as I've been preparing to talk about this passage and I just wanna share some of that stuff with you. First, I find it really interesting that this story sits right between Matthew's story of Jesus' birth in chapter one and the story of Jesus starting his ministry as an adult man, he's getting baptized, in chapter three. We've been looking at chapter two, and chapter two sits right between Jesus the baby, right, and then chapter three, which is Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. He's grown up, he's getting baptized by John, and he's gonna go preach. But then right there in that center spot, Matthew sticks a story about a few men 
a group of men who were considered pagans and outside of anything that the Jews would have wanted anything to do with, who knew the right thing to do even before Jesus had said about a few baby words, even before Jesus had taken but a few baby steps, they knew the right thing to do when they were face to face with Jesus. And what was it? They knew the thing was to bow down on their face and worship the king. They showed him reverence. They showed him honor. They showed him worship. These magi, these Gentile astrologers who were the last people that the religious leaders of the time would have ever allowed within a hundred yards of their Messiah if, they, if those religious leaders had known this was Jesus the Messiah. If they'd known it, they'd have kept these guys away. And yet, guess what? These guys, can you believe it? These guys. They were some of the very first people who ever got to do what someday all of humanity will do, and they will bow before Jesus and confess that he alone is a king. Boom. That's what this story's about. In fact, the only thing that we really know for certain about the Magi, the only thing that we know for certain is that their legacy is this that they did everything they could to worship Jesus. Everything they could to worship Jesus. And what's been swirling in my heart is this, as I think about these men, who the only thing we know about their legacy is that they went to great lengths without reference to anything else to get to worship Jesus as I long for that to be what I'm known for as well. I long for my every word and my every deed and my every thought to be focused on worshiping the king. I know I have a long way to go in this before I reach that place in my life, but this story tells me that God says that any journey that is focused on worshiping Jesus is worth the effort. And my goodness, is this story one more in a, an a long example of the upside down nature of God's kingdom or what? You know, this story tells us that God gladly accepts worship from people who are seeking him, no matter who they may be. Even if they're pagan fortune tellers like the Magi, this story tells us that even those of us who may be seeped, think about this, seeped in things that religious people would say, that keeps you from having any right to be connected to God at all. This is who you are and God wants nothing to do with you. But this story tells us, no, the Magi prove that all are welcome in, in God's new kingdom. The Magi, just like all the other characters in our revealed series, have shown us that God is not a God of favorites, that he sees our hearts, and not only does he see our hearts, but he wants to fill our hearts with a joyous joy that is as joyous as, as it is possible to be joyous. So don't be discouraged. God is calling to you, no matter what your past may be, no matter what others may have said about you, no matter what shame you may be carrying, no matter how distant you may feel from God today, he is calling you to come to him, to come to Jesus, accept his love for you, and find the reason that you were put on this earth. Think about this. I have no idea what these magi did with the rest of their lives. But we all know they did one thing. 
The purpose was to be remembered for centuries as the people who did what? Worshiped Jesus. That's why they were put on the earth. You can find why you were put on the earth. And in the process, join with all of us who love Jesus and worship him as well. I am so thankful for the, the story. You know, the Christmas story would have been fine without the wise men. It would have been fine without him. But God wanted to make sure that we knew that unexpected people, people that other people would have never thought had any right to stand before the, the Lord and worship him, that unexpected people are welcome in God's kingdom. We're all called, we're all welcome to join with other unlikely people just like you and me to follow Jesus, to worship Jesus, and to ultimately join in God's mission, which is what? It's to bring healing and comfort and joy to our needy, broken world. That's what it's all about.